It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down, break it all down the stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Welcome into the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. Happy Thursday. Our phone number is 547-1610. Email 610KONA.com. The bottom line page. Your name, where you're listening, what you'd like to say. We're on Twitter, bottom line 610. Parlor, the bottom line 610. And you could also catch us via the free mobile app, Google Play, and Apple stores. Rob and Ed hanging with you. And, you know, Ed, we've talked a lot of COVID, probably incessantly since, so oh, maybe January. And one of the things that we continue to run into as we talk about this topic is the level of questions that exist, a level of mistrust that exists. And a lot of that has to do over things that are cited as data and science And there's a lot of questions out there regarding exactly the veracity of the data and so on and so forth. And we want to welcome to the program Max Nelson. He is the Director of Labor Policy for uh, the Freedom Foundation. Good afternoon, Max. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Rob. Thanks for having me. Now, back in May, the Freedom Foundation did an investigation and found that there were a number of deaths that were being attributed to COVID-19 in the state of Washington that were not actually COVID-19 deaths. They were deaths that occurred by another means, but the person uh, who passed away may have had COVID or did test positive for COVID, but it was not the actual cause of death. After that report came out, the DOH kind of scurried a bit, did a press conference. And since that press conference, has the Freedom Foundation or anyone else that's been following this seen any indication that things have changed with the Department of Health as far as how they're classifying these these deaths? Well, the, the answer is a little bit complicated. It's, it's yes, there have been some corrections, but not to the extent that there should be and not to the extent that the Department of Health had previously promised. Uh, so your, your introduction was, was absolutely correct. The, the May report showed that the Department of Health was counting the death of every person who had previously tested positive for the virus, even if the person died from some other cause. Uh, and we learned that, you know, based on information we received directly from the Department of Health. You know, in a press conference held later that week, uh, health officials admitted, yes, that is the method for counting uh, COVID-19 deaths. And they went even further and acknowledged that that method involves uh, counting people who died from things like gunshot wounds that are very obviously unrelated uh, to the coronavirus. Now, state officials had initially downplayed the significance of our reporting and tried to say that while a handful of these uh, non-COVID deaths may have been included in the state's count, it really wasn't enough to impact the overall numbers and they'd get around to cleaning it up soon anyway. So fast forward uh, up until June, we finally got a little bit more granularity out of the Department of Health. They said, we're, they announced a new program. We're going to remove deaths from the count that we know aren't related to COVID, and we're going to start breaking down our count, you know, our, our single number that they'd been putting out for COVID deaths into subcategories. So here's how many people tested positive and had 
COVID-19 listed on their death certificate. You know, here's how many people that tested positive and died, but we don't have their death certificate information yet. You know, or here's so many people that tested positive and died, and we're still investigating the circumstances of their death to figure out whether COVID played a role. So there were several categories. We applauded that announcement at the time. That's exactly the type of detail we think the state should have been putting out. Uh, and eventually, in, in July, the state did come out with a one-time snapshot uh, report that broke down the state's reported COVID deaths into those categories. And again, that was great. That's what we should have seen. But there hasn't been any update since that July 14 report. And we continue to have a single number of deaths displayed on the Department of Health dashboard that's reported in their emails that go out all the time, that's used in the press conferences, that the media reports on because it's the only number that's available. And again, we've confirmed with Department of Health this week that number still includes as many as 11% of deaths that have yet to be linked to positively to COVID-19. So we've had promises from the Department of Health and kind of these baby steps, okay, we'll take out the gunshot victims, but we still have these gray areas, these categories of, of deaths that haven't been confirmed yet that are still being reflected in that statewide total of COVID-19 deaths. So it's, it's really unfortunate that we're here having this conversation again months after the initial report, uh, but that's the reality. We're talking with Max Nelson. He's the director of labor policy for the Freedom Foundation here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Uh, now, when we, when we dive into this deeper, and as many people have looked at this and asked questions, as you mentioned earlier, there's really the only information that there, there is what they are giving. So anything on top of that is going to be speculation. But as we continue to battle this, we continue to see numbers come out in different different quantities throughout the state of Washington and throughout different states in the country. Transparency is a huge key for people to to actually believe that the government or the entities have their best interest at heart. Situations like this certainly tend to create more distrust amongst the, the residents of the states and the counties tend to question even further and tend to question even what they're being asked to do to try and combat this, because if the numbers they're getting aren't accurate, then why are they going to believe anything else they're getting from them is accurate? Is that a fair assessment? Oh, I think that's absolutely right. There's there's definitely some questions that this issue raises about the credibility of our public health officials. And, you know, we, we hear repeatedly that our state's response is guided based on, on the best available science and data. And that's the way it should be. Uh, but then you have incidents like this come up, and, and you have to question, okay, what's really going on behind the scenes here? Is this... Are there political concerns that are that are actually being used to guide decision making as opposed to what's best for the public or the best available data? Case case in point on this exact subject, after our initial report came out in May, uh, we submitted a request for public records to uh, to the state for communications that the state may have had about our report. You know what we we knew what they were saying in the press conference, we knew what they were saying publicly, but what were they talking? What were they saying about our reporting internally? And so we got a series of emails back uh, from the state that were very revealing. 
And, you know, initially the Department of Health Communications team, uh, you know, was saying, oh, gosh, it's Freedom Foundation report. You know, we got to come out strong against all this misinformation. Then they went to go talk to the health statisticians and the epidemiologists at the Department of Health and, you know, ask them, hey, is this how we're, we're reporting our COVID-19 deaths? And the experts got back to the comms people and said, yes, the Freedom Foundation is right. They are correct. This is how we are reporting our deaths, and it does mean that we will include people who die from things other than, than coronavirus. Uh, and so then, then you got the secondary set of discussions on, on the comms team about, well, okay, well, now how do we talk about this? And, you know, there was one, one point in which, you know, a draft announcement email for the, the following press conference specifically re- referenced the Freedom Foundation and our report. And the communications director came back and said, oh, no, no, we can't reference the Freedom Foundation. We don't want to give them any publicity about this. So, I mean, you you get a peek into what's going on behind the scenes, and here we've accurately reported on on uh, an issue that is at the heart of of this coronavirus uh, situation, how many people are dying. You know, we've identified some some gaps and some deficiencies in the state's reporting. And they, they can't even own up to it. Uh, they can't even acknowledge that we're the ones talking about it. Uh, and again, even after promising to provide additional detail and breaking down that one number of deaths into those categories so we can really get a better idea of what they're sure about, uh, they, they still haven't done it months, months after the fact. So it's unfortunate, but it's, you know, those questions of credibility are, are of the state's own making at this point. We're talking with Max Nelson. He's the director of labor policy at the Freedom Foundation here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Uh, Mr. Nelson, uh, it, it may be semantics, but words matter, and we know that. And uh, dying with COVID and dying from COVID is something that, uh, as you mentioned, is very important as we look at the the overall picture of the of the virus's impact in in the state and in each of the additional communities. Has there been any uh, any of the county health departments that have uh, put pressure on uh, at you know at the state level to offer uh, some better, more reliable data? Because uh, depending on who you talk to, the flow of information either goes from the county to the state or the state to the county. So I did some research into this uh, a little while back, and it's it's. I'm glad you brought that point up because it's it's a fascinating issue. So the county public health authorities, as, as I understand it, are the first uh, receivers of the information, and they're reporting it up to the Department of Health. But the two entities don't necessarily classify or categorize the information the same way. So we did a survey. Uh, it's a little bit dated now, the way things are moving. But we went to every public uh, health authority in every county that had at least one COVID death. And we asked them, how do you guys at the county level, how do you count a death from COVID? Do you count it like the Department of Health does? And you count every death of a person who had tested positive for the virus? Or do you count only deaths of people who tested positive and had a reference to the virus on the death certificate? And we got responses all over the map. We had some counties got got back to us, uh, some large counties, uh, Pierce County, Thurston County, King County, a few others, that did it the way that we would say is appropriate. They they counted only deaths that were confirmed with a viral test and a re- reference on the death certificate. But then you had a number of other counties uh, that were using the Department of Health's method, and some of them weren't even putting out their own numbers. They were just repeating whatever the Department of Health, you know, the number of deaths that the Department of Health reported for their county. So it's 
it's all over the map at the county level, but it does drive home the point that reasonable people and experts in these fields have have done this differently. You know, you don't have to use the method that's going to create the largest possible number of deaths. Uh, there are reasonable health officials out there in some of our state's biggest counties that have said the reasonable thing to do is to only report confirmed deaths. And that's really what should be happening statewide. Well, having said that, can people in this state, across the state, no matter if it's, you know, what part of the state, can we reasonably expect at some point when we've cleared uh, the pandemic that there will be either legislation or a push for rulemaking where it can be uniform across the state in every county, in every uh, bi-county health district, and at the state level that everybody can agree on a certain standard and, and set of rules for how to classify these? Well, it's a good question, and I, I think it's probably a little bit premature for me to speculate about what's going to happen after the, after the pandemic, since we're still trying to get our minds wrapped around what's going on during the pandemic. Uh, I, I do think, though, that the way our state has set up its public health systems, at least according to the law, a lot of these public health decisions in, in terms of managing crises like this are supposed to be made at the county level. And we've really seen that process jettison uh, in, during this crisis. And you've seen the, the state through the governor's office and the Department of Health really try to consolidate uh, control uh, over the response to COVID-19. And I, you know, we have counties in Washington state, I think there may be some counties out there that still don't have any COVID-19 deaths. And then you've obviously got other counties that are hotspots for the virus. So I think it makes sense to have a localized uh, system where you can take into account just the, the reality that not every county is alike and not every county is going to be hit by, uh, by public health crises like this in the same way or to the same extent. And so I, I think, if anything, I would hope that on the other side of this, we take a really hard look at the emergency powers that we have allowed the state government to accumulate and exercise and really evaluate if that's the best approach for handling emergencies like this that may come up in the future and maybe be intentional about putting some some more sideboards or accountability mechanisms into that so that we don't have a state that's just being run by uh, uh, governor's fiat for months on end uh, in every corner of our economy, in every corner of our uh, of our society. So we'll, there will be time for that conversation, and it's, it's happening now, starting to happen now. And again, I, I really hope that uh, that we learn some lessons about the importance of limiting government's authority in situations like this, or or providing some accountability mechanisms, so so we don't have such a top-down, one-size-fits-all approach in the future. We're talking with Max Nelson, the Director of Labor Policy with the Freedom Foundation here on the bottom line. And one final question for you, and we appreciate your time today. Um, Do you expect a response? We know when the uh, Department of Health did their initial uh, response in July, they they kind of um, minimized the claim from 13% down to 3% uh, mm-hmm. of cases they said were, were erroneously um, classed or categorized. Do you expect another response from them in regards to this, or do you think that they are just going to stay silent and hope people are not paying attention? Uh, you know, I'm guessing it's it's probably the latter at this point, but but who knows? We may, we may get more information from the department. And again, I hope we do. Uh, you know, looking at that report that was issued in July, 
uh, showed that 11% of the deaths in the state's total were still unconfirmed. So we've had several several disclosures from Department of Health now. They told us directly in, in May, before we went public with the report, that there were 13% of the deaths hadn't yet been positively linked to COVID. And they came out with their own report in July, said that number was, was in at 11%. So I, I, don't, I still don't know where the 3% number came up with in that press conference from, from months back. Uh, but, you know, we've got them on the record twice now as using a much larger number. And 10%, you know, 1 in 10 deaths may be you know, being inaccurate, that's significant. That's worth paying attention to. That's worth fixing, uh, you know, or, or again, at least just admitting in the numbers that go out every day that, you know, some some subset of these deaths that we're reporting may not actually be linked to COVID is, is an important disclosure. And, and we're just not seeing the Department of Health make that disclosure on a regular basis. You know, they continue to say, this is the number of people that died from COVID. And they know uh, that that's not necessarily accurate. Max Nelson, the Director of Labor Policy with the Freedom Foundation. Always appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much uh, for the update. And we look forward to talking to you again in the near future. My pleasure, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Take a quick time out. Bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. And, you know, it explains, and as we alluded to earlier, it explains why, particularly in our area and in other areas east of the Cascades, that the questions still remain, the trust is not there, and people are questioning just about every aspect of what they hear from Inslee's administration when it comes to this. Back with more of the Bottom Line News Radio 610 K1A after this. up with the bottom line on twitter at bottom line 610 now back to the show presented by summit funding in kennewick and prosser bottom line news radio 610 k1a 547-1610 if you'd like to get involved contact jason hogan american family insurance today if your business is operating under modified phase one or modified modified phase one talk to jason and make sure that you've got all the protections that you need to run your business in this COVID environment. It'll go through your policy with you, let you know if you're dead if you're dead set to go and you're ready to operate or if there's something else you may need. You can visit Jason's website, jasonhogue.com today and talk to the only American Star certified American Family Insurance agent here in the Tri-Cities. Um, interesting information from Max Nelson with the Freedom Foundation. Yeah. And uh, once again, pointing that there are some glaring deficiencies that remain and you know, we could speculate. I mean, they're not going to tell us why, obviously, but it would seem that once again, the issues that persist in this are those of not wanting all of the information out there so that what they continue to feed us is what we are supposed to believe that there's no questioning that this is what's out there and this is what you have to do. And because this is all the information you're giving, uh, we're giving you, you need to follow our, our, our dictums, our, our uh, proclamations. And you have to do this because we're obviously telling you the truth, even though we're not giving you all the information. 
You know, I don't know that I, I take quite a nefarious uh, angle to this. However, I will say this. This is, you know, we were, we've been talking about this since the beginning, where people were being, or people have been questioning the categorization of COVID deaths. Again, dying with COVID or dying from COVID. Well, you know, if you test positive, do you have a scarlet letter on your self until the day you die? Um, and then you heard stories about, um, you know, death certificates that, you know, were, were being pushed in one direction or another. Look, in the beginning, it was chaotic. Okay, I, I give them that. But now, you know, we're several months into this. Uh, and, you know, you can argue five, six months into this pandemic. And if we're still not getting the corrections that we need from the state health department, then we need to put some pressure on them. Uh, we meaning, you know, not necessarily at the local level per se, uh, to some degree maybe, but it really sounds like it's coming from the, the state level and how they're categorizing things. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, we got lots more to talk about, Rob. A lot of uh, developing uh, news even within the last half hour. Uh, we will talk about uh, what I am teasing in particular. Yeah, it's called a tease. It's to get you to listen through the commercial break and kind of stay with us, even though we already knew that you would stay with us because this is the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. Give us your bottom line. Call 509-547-1610. Now, back to the show. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA. 547-1610 is the number if you'd like to get involved. And you can reach out to the guys at Roofmax as well, locally owned and operated. It's been warm. Going to see those hot temperatures still for at least another couple weeks. And if you're wondering about the condition of your roof, call the Roofmax guys. They'll come out and take a look at it absolutely free. And while they're there, they'll let you know if their state-of-the-art application that was developed at Patel Laboratories and Ohio State University will help extend the life of your current roof. Five, ten, maybe even 15 years if you're lucky. Basically, it acts like water does on grass. It puts the essential oils that your shingles need back into your shingles and gives them years more of protection. Contact RoofMax today. Find out how they can help you extend the life of your current roof at 15 to 20% the cost of a brand new roof. Contact RoofMax today. Um, so breaking just before we went on the air, um, J- Sheriff Jerry Hatcher, Benton County Sheriff, his recall petition hearing was today. Yeah, it had. It was last week, and uh, there was a continuance yes. about a week till today. Uh, Sheriff Hatcher's attorney was out of town, and then I believe uh, another attorney had just received more information, and so the continuance was yeah. The was continuance asked for last week was yeah. They yeah. they they both just were asking for a little bit more time, not yeah. a ton, but like a week. So. And the continuance was granted until today, mm-hmm. um, and it did not go well for Sheriff Hatcher. That it didn't. Um, after several hours of. Um, back and forth between the attorneys it took 
the judge in the case, who is actually a Walla Walla County Superior Court judge, Scott mm-hmm. Wilfram, uh, purposely assigned this case because he doesn't have direct uh, connections to either Benton or Franklin County. Uh, they'll do that, uh, you know, as as often as they can. I think it's even by law. Uh, after both attorneys talked for hours, it didn't take him very much uh, extra time. I thought maybe that he might, you know, recess until another day to digest all the stuff, but nope. Uh, he uh, ruled that the recall petition against Sheriff Hatcher can move forward. Um, and there were eight different points that the petitioner, who is uh, Benton County Sheriff Sergeant Jason Erickson, um, put forth. So eight different, they're, they're not, they're not counts necessarily right. like criminal counts. They're eight points that they wanted to make, or he and his attorney wanted to make, uh, as to why Sheriff Hatcher should be recalled. Okay, so there were eight points. There were 26 accusations of yes. wrongdoing in the recall. Yes, but but, but they the fit eight, into eight yes, categories, they fit into if eight you will. categories, eight points that they right. wanted to put forward to highlight the reasons they believe he should be recalled. And what I think is, is significant is not only uh, did Judge Wilfram uh, allow, it's, uh, allow for the petition to move forward and it met all the necessary criteria, uh, even how it would appear on the ballot, uh, he said it was under it was under the threshold of the number of words, you know, that it it has to be on it. So everything met the standard. Not only did it meet the standard, but he said that there was uh, there was validity to all eight of the points on the in the petition, and that's unusual. I you know, I I have I've seen it both ways but it's usually if there's two or three or four you know maybe you know you, one you might maybe, get one or two maybe one is dismissed or half of them are dismissed saying no no you don't have standing to move forward on these two points but yes to these with that eight points is a lot uh it's it's a lot and it's going to be a lot for the voters to digest when they get that chance. But to have the judge say, yep, all eight of these points checked all the boxes. I'm, he wasn't there to rule on whether the accusations or points were true or not, just that they were valid. They were valid points that can be made during a recall petition slash recall election. It's going to be up to the voters to decide whether they think they were true or not and whether there was malfeasance, misfeasance, uh, abuse of power by Sheriff Hatcher. Now, to put it into context, when Steve Young, the former mayor of Kennewick, had his recall petition brought forward, Mm -hmm. there were, I believe, eight in his as well. Something like that. There were quite a few. Yeah. The judge allowed one to move forward. Yes. Jenny Durkin in Seattle, who was going through her own recall petition, there were six in hers. Okay. The judge allowed one to move forward yes. out of the six. Yes. So for the judge to say all eight of the the points, points yeah. were valid and can move forward, I can't, I can't no, no pun intended, recall... A time 
when a recall petition, at least in the time we've been doing this and even going back further into following politics in this state, they don't come up very often. No. But I can't, I, I, I cannot pull from mind one that has met all of the, that all the criteria has been met on each point. M- me either. And, you know, and, and I've been covering such things much of my life in, and not just around here. And number one, to have eight counts, period, come, or not counts, eight points come up, period, in a recall election is fairly rare. To have all eight be valid and, and be able to move forward, I don't know that I can remember a time when that's happened at any level of anywhere I've been either. Again, to be abundantly clear, the judge was not ruling that Sheriff Hatcher was guilty right. on all eight of those or any points, or any, or of, those any of them. Yeah. What he what he was charged to do was whether or not the petition met the necessary requirements uh, to be pushed forward and and to basically rule on each of the eight points. Yeah, and if they provide enough information to show that each each point was warranted and each point could continue and go on yes. the recall petition. Yeah, so that's a, it's a significant hurdle, no doubt. Yeah. It is not the final hurdle, however. No. Um, Sheriff Hatcher does have the ability to appeal this decision. And although we have not heard officially, I you know, I'm going to go way on a limb here and say that he probably will, uh, you know, if he's able to, which I we believe that they, you can, uh, looking at, at uh, statutes that you can appeal this. Um, the official uh, order, if you will, now that uh, the judge has ruled on this, the official order has to be filed uh, by uh, the attorney uh, for uh, Sergeant Jason Erickson. The attorney's name is Alan Harvey. He has to uh, file this uh, no later than early next week. It's Monday or Tuesday, I believe, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, soon. You know, not forever, but just not today or tomorrow, where it's kind of the, the final paperwork. All the while, Sheriff Hatcher can move towards an appeal. And then uh, the next step, Rob, would be uh, the signature gathering, which uh, by my estimation would be in the neighborhood of about 12,000 uh, signatures, if I am correct, um, that will be needed to to uh, take it and put it on the ballot. And, uh, you know, the, the timelines here are, are not set uh, because this ruling just happened um, a short time ago. Uh, but I do believe, and I want to verify this, uh, it could be fourteen thousand. It's between twelve and fourteen thousand uh, signatures that will need to be gathered uh, to put the the recall petition to a vote of the people. Now, if everything, if all the of all the hurdles are cleared, um, you know, an appeal doesn't go in Sheriff Hatcher's favor. The signatures are all gathered and are validated. Uh, you could probably expect. Uh, this to go to the voters early next year. I'm going to February. I believe. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to guess in the in the February range. Um, just you know, given 
trying to back time things and 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 whatnot. So um, interesting development. We want to get your thoughts. We're going to take a break. Open up the phone lines. Get your thoughts on uh, Sheriff Hatcher recall petition being uh, granted the ability to move forward. Uh, judge saying all eight points in the petition valid. Five four seven one six ten five zero nine five four seven one six ten. You can email us too by going to the website six ten kona dot com. Go to the bottom line page and send us your question or comment. Join the show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back to the bottom line with Robin Ed, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA, 547-1610 is the number. If you'd like to get involved, and as we uh, mentioned as we were going into the end of the last segment, uh, the recall petition against Benton County Sheriff Jerry Hatcher heard today uh, by a Walla Walla Superior Court judge who has decided that that recall petition can move forward on all eight of the points brought in the petition against the sheriff for malfeasance, misfeasance, or violation of oath of office. Um, the sheriff now has the ability to recall or to appeal that recall which there's no question he will do. Uh, In fact, there's an appeal to a recall going on right now on the west side uh, where Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin is in the process of appealing a recall petition that was allowed to go forward against her. Uh, So if that recall, if that appeal to that recall is denied, then the petitioners will have to gather 14,000 signatures in order for the recall to appear on the ballot, and it's kind of been pointed that it would be a February special election uh, that would take place with that recall for the residents of Benton County. Yeah, not before. Not they, before. You wouldn't be able to pull something like that off before. That is correct. So, Especially because, you know, we have kind of a, an election to deal with in November. Well, so. and not only that, but, <laughs> but considering the amount of time it takes to collect the signatures, you've got a window to do that. They all have to be verified. They have to be checked to be registered voters and live in the county. So there's a few processes that need to take place once those signatures are submitted. And then, of course, the ballots have to be prepared and sent out and uh, opportunity to return said ballots has to exist. So February is probably the earliest that you would see uh, this appear on a ballot in Benton County, provided the appeal is denied and the signatures are gathered. Uh, 14,000 doesn't sound like a lot. Um, I think it was based on the last, it's based on the the last general election, isn't it? Yeah. The voter turnout for the, would have been based on the voter turnout for the 2019 general election. Yeah, right. right. And there wasn't a lot of turnouts. It was an off-year election. Right. So you only need 14,000 votes in order to get this on and, and, between those that are involved in the petition, their family members, their friends, I don't think 14 is, a, is is that big of a number. It doesn't seem like that daunting of a task. But, of course, all those, all those signatures will be checked and double-checked by the auditor's office to make sure that they are registered voters and they are residents of Benton County. One of the things that came up, uh, because uh, I, I was listening to the proceedings for much of the day, 
Um, one of the things that came up uh, from Sheriff Hatcher's a- attorney that uh, this whole thing was politically motivated and the judge did not see it that way. Uh, in fact, that was that was uh, one of the major points that that Hatcher's attorney uh, you know presented was that uh, this was just you know retaliation uh, you know uh, against uh, rules that uh, Sheriff Hatcher put into place and and uh, you know it was also politically motivated uh, but the judge didn't see it that way again the judge is only allowing this to move forward this is this is uh, like we said there are several hoops left to go through and and, and most likely an appeal on today's decision uh, to to a different jurisdiction um, but signatures have to be gathered and verified has to get on the ballot and the voters have to agree to it uh, there's a, there's still a lot uh, left in this game but it was a significant development sure uh, because the judge very easily could have said no you know this can't move move ahead and that would have been the end of it um so a uh, significant move uh, certainly from uh, from the Walla Walla County Superior Court Judge uh, Scott Wolfram. So, of course, we'll follow it. We'll keep you up to date on everything as we have uh, during this process. Uh, and the minute we learn something new, we certainly will pass it along to you. I would expect um, that Sheriff Hatcher's attorney will file an appeal. Um, I, I mean, don't see why he would not, even though it may seem based on today's decision that you know there's a lot there well you get another set of eyes on it who knows and so that appeal will go to a higher level and they'll take a look and make a determination um and i know mayor jenny durkin appealed hers to the state supreme court i don't know if that would be the the level that it would go for sheriff hatcher i do believe there is a step in between there I don't think it goes right from Superior Court to the Supreme Court. I don't think so. Yeah, I think but, there's uh, a step in. I think there is a step in between there. Um, yeah, but you know what? We'll look and find out. Let's take a call before uh, the end of the hour. You're up on the bottom line. Who's this? Where are you calling from today? Uh, Tom from Kennewick. Hi, Tom. What's uh, up? Could, could you go through each of the reasons why they're trying to recall Sheriff Hatcher? Because I'm not sure, really familiar with this case, and I don't think a lot of people probably are. Appreciate the call. Um, I I could. It would take a lot longer than I than I have left in the hour, uh, and and believe me, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to uh, to go over all the points. Um, I will see if I can. Uh, you know, we might be able to dig through it uh, next hour. But in a nutshell, this uh, some of it surrounded the uh, the ammunition. Uh, that uh, was that Sheriff Hatcher had at his Montana residence mm-hmm. that was uh, supposedly uh, SWAT issued. And um, but then because of his divorce proceedings and the uh, restraining order that uh, his estranged wife, Monica Hatcher, had uh, put, you know, he couldn't go and retrieve that. But, you know, it was, you know, part of the complaint centered around, you know, him not having the ability to 
to do that, uh, you know, as well as treating uh, the command staff uh, poorly and uh, and not um, pushing forward investigations uh, into his own behavior uh, or letting or letting outside entities take over uh, some of those things. So there's, you know, there, there's some there's some things in there. I mean, we can do a deep dive. Uh, the recall not going to do it in a minute. <laughs> yeah, the recall petition was over a hundred pages. I yeah. mean, it was it was it was it was pretty. It, it was a very large document that was that was submitted. So, uh, one thing we can tell you is that the appeal uh, filed by Sheriff Hatcher's attorney, if they do go in that direction, and we think they will. Uh, we'll go to the Court of Appeals Division Three, which is based in Spokane. Yes, and it covers all of Eastern Washington. And then after that, if it needs to, it would or go to the Supreme it would go Court. to the Supreme Court. So, uh, hour number one, a busy hour number one in the books. Hour number two is on the way. Don't go anywhere. This is the Bottom Line News Radio six ten K O N A. 